Hello and welcome to the Stuck Brain Podcast. All things mental health with a different approach. We look at the research, but we also discuss real life experience. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Stuck Brain Podcast. I am your host, Eric Osterland, and in this episode, I have a co-host named Pinky. She is a psychiatric mental health nurse practitioner. If you want to know more about her, you can go to the stuckbrainpodcast.com. Hello, listeners, and welcome to our episode on the history of psychedelics. So what is a psychedelic? Let's start with that. The term psychedelic, psych refers to mind, and delic is a Greek word that means manifesting. So any substance that kind of opens up your mind and consciousness, helps you manifest those thoughts and feelings, has been called a psychedelic. Psychedelics have been around for thousands of years and have been used by indigenous cultures for various illnesses, physical and mental, for a very long time. In 1943, a man named Dr. Albert Hoffman was experimenting with some medication in his lab and created LSD, or lysergic acid diethylamide. He wasn't sure what this medication was for. He tried it on himself and ended up having a psychedelic trip for several hours. He recorded his findings. He knew he had stumbled across something very powerful, but again, he didn't know what it was for. So at that time, he made his findings known to other people, and researchers at the time decided to crowdsource the LSD and make it available to any researchers that wanted to work with it. So in the 1950s, a plethora of LSD research started and articles started being published and LSD made its way to a mental health facility where it was used to treat alcoholism and anxiety related to irrational fears. Researchers were so intrigued with the results that they recommended further research specifically in mental health. That is pretty amazing that it was studied quite a bit. And then it seems like politics got in the way. Definitely, yeah. Psychedelics kind of became associated with rock and roll and the anti-Vietnam War movement. And it kind of became part of that counterculture. Because LSD started getting out to the general public. So a lot of people were doing LSD at the time. And... There was the Vietnam War going on, so nobody wanted to go fight after they were having an experience of LSD and feeling connected and part of the earth and part of being with everybody, that they didn't want to go fight. So they are starting to rebel in that counterculture movement in the 1960s. Yeah, and that's, well, that's when the make love, not war saying started coming out and people who had experienced LSD were just not on board with creating war with other human beings. And this was very threatening to the adult world, especially of politics. So it's it's thought that Nixon firmly believed that psychedelics were fueling the counterculture and, and he quickly tried to put a stop to it. And how did he try to put a stop to it? So in 1970, they created the Narcotics Act and scheduled medications like LSD, psilocybin, which is magic mushrooms, DMT and mescaline, other psychedelics, and even marijuana were all placed in Schedule 1 of the Narcotics Act, 
meaning that there's no accepted medical use of these medications and that they have a very high potential for drug abuse. Which is counterintuitive because the addiction rate for LSD, psilocybin, at least those two substances, is extremely low. And we know that through research, through ER visits in the United States and in England are pretty much at a minimal, almost a nil amount for LSD or psilocybin ER visits. When you compare that to alcohol, heroin, opiates, benzos, those are through the roof compared to LSD or psilocybin. So that's counterintuitive why it should be a Schedule 1. And it's very interesting how the substances that do have a high risk for abuse and dependence seem to be legal, like alcohol and opiates and being able to get a prescription for benzodiazepines. All of these substances kind of mask mental health symptoms. And and that's why a lot of times clients turn to them for numbing of, of the symptoms they're experiencing. Whereas psychedelics kind of help you face those emotions that you're trying to numb out and help you accept them as a part part of yourself. So the, that administration, I mean, is pretty brilliant in one way. They created a schedule system so therefore they could prosecute people that were using those substances that they didn't like that contributed to the counterculture. It, it's pretty interesting that they created that and they put those in there. Yeah, and in addition to creating the Narcotics Act of 1970, In 1973, President Nixon signed a bill that put the Drug Enforcement Agency into place. And soon after that, Nixon fired the director of mental health that recommended further LSD research. Yeah, so they halted all the research that was being done on LSD. And there was something like a thousand... Well, you know the statistic. Why don't you tell us that? Yeah, so... When LSD research first started, by 1951, there were about 100 research studies that were published. And once they made the LSD available to all researchers that were interested, by 1961, there were over 1,000 research studies that had been published supporting the use of LSD, especially with mental health, specifically alcoholism and anxiety. So they just halted that and they said, nope, you can't do that anymore. The FDA now would not approve any studies. They said that they weren't supposedly done correctly, which we all know it was politics at that point. It was pushed through and stopped because of politics. Absolutely. And and like you said, funding for LSD research, you know, dried up very quickly after that. And the government released educational films regarding LSD, which warned regarding chromosome damage, birth defects, fatal accidents, suicide, and psychosis. And none of the studies, thousands of studies that were published, demonstrated these ill effects related to LSD. And and further studies later in the 90s and more recently have demonstrated that none of these incidents as far as the chromosome damage and birth defects are actually valid. So interesting. And you know, then we have a whole generation in that grew up in the 70s and 80s, and it was the war on drugs. And we were taught, you know, those drugs are bad. Do not do them. So there's this fear of LSD, psilocybin, 
that was kind of unjustified at that point because it was just set into from politics, basically. And then it's kind of interesting because in the 90s, they started bringing back the research around psilocybin and LSD. So I grew up with with the war on drugs in the 80s as well. And I specifically remember being a child and watching my Saturday morning cartoons. And during commercial break, there was always just say no to drugs. And I'm sure a lot of us from that time period will remember where there's someone cooking eggs in their kitchen and it says, this is your brain. And then they kind of mess up the eggs and say, this is your brain on drugs. And it was the scariest thing ever. It was enough to keep me away from drugs as a child. It, it, It was very scary. And I think a lot of people definitely bought into this because as humans, you know, we think we elect our government and they're responsible for our well-being. So they know best. But it really was a huge scare tactic and an effective one in that matter. Yeah, and it worked to a degree. Now, I want to be very clear to our listeners. We're not saying go out and do drugs. We're not saying drugs are great, illegal street drugs. We're just bringing this to everybody's attention to kind of point out a paradigm that we've been operating from for a while now, since the 60s, 70s, 80s. And that paradigm is starting to shift. And that started shifting in the 1990s. And in the 2000s is when they started doing more research. So the famous study that I remember hearing about and was excited about was the psilocybin. For those of you that don't know what psilocybin is, it's the active hallucinogenic in in magic mushrooms. And they did a study with terminal cancer patients. Tell me about that, Pinky. Okay. So they had 51 participants. They all had a cancer diagnosis, and all of them were dealing with a crushing anxiety related, related to their mortality. There were two groups. One group was started with a low dose and subsequently later given a higher dose. And the second group was given a high dose to begin with and then a lower dose later. And what the study found was that after these two sessions of psilocybin, 80% or more of the participants experience a significant relief in their symptoms of depression and anxiety. Now, this is really significant because all the other studies in relieving depression, let's say SSRIs, selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, which is the gold standard for depression today, it has an average of 30-something percent efficacy in in clients. So 80-something percent is really blowing things out of the water. The other thing is there was minimal to no side effects observed in this study as well. And to piggyback off of that, a lot of them said that that psilocybin treatment or experience was rated as one of their highest experiences that they've had in their life, which is pretty amazing. I have yet to hear of anybody saying, when I took my Prozac, it was the most significant event in my life. It usually doesn't happen that way. Now, I can see people doing the counter argument of, well, they were cancer patients, so that makes sense that psilocybin work because they have this existential dread about around death because now it's staring them in the face. And that is probably a good assessment to a certain degree, but it still shows that that's another option to treat mental health and anxiety. And if we didn't have the the paradigm of war on drugs and these things are a scheduled one and they're going to ruin your chromosomes, we wouldn't even be having this discussion today. It would be up there as one of the treatments 
for anxiety and depression. But because we're operating from that old paradigm that it's a scheduled one and you know it, it needs to be feared, that's doing us a disservice, I believe. I agree. And, and I think there's so much potential with some of these psychedelics. Like going back to this study, another thing that kind of left me flabbergasted was without any further treatments, just the initial high dose and low dose, the results were still significant. So these participants were still experiencing a relief from their depression and anxiety six months after they had received the treatment. And and that's definitely something very significant and, and I see as a powerful tool to help with mental health disorders. Absolutely, that is. So that was in, what year was that, 2016? Yes, that's right. And then that was kind of the study that started to bring psychedelics back into the mainstream and say, okay, we can study these because we're starting to change our paradigm that, you know, this war on drug thing isn't working. This was misrepresented from a previous administration many years ago. And so now we're doing more research. And they've even done some psychedelic research towards treatments of alcohol abuse. There was a study in 2019, and they're showing promising results around that which is pretty amazing. So now we're pushing more towards psychedelics. Yeah, there was actually another study published in 2017 regarding smoking cessation. And that study showed that participants were able to quit smoking for at least one year after just two doses of psilocybin. That is the most effective smoking cessation treatment ever studied. Which is absolutely amazing. This might be another tool that we can treat people with abuse potential. Psychedelics helps us move beyond that serotonin hypothesis. Like I mentioned earlier, SSRIs are the gold standard for treatment of depression, anxiety, and other various mental health disorders. But with only 30-something percent of patients responding to SSRIs, we really do need a paradigm shift and we need to move into something that is more effective. And it's thought that psychedelics work by decreasing the activity within the default mode network. So what happens is we get stuck in our narratives and our thoughts and our feelings and psychedelics come in and decrease that activity in the default mode network and increase activity in other parts of the brain. And that helps us look at things from a different perspective and change the narrative of what we've been looking at. And there's immense power in that. That's what I like about the psychedelic approach is it's, it's multifaceted. It's not just, here's a chemical, it's going to change your chemical, right, in your brain. It's more like you'll have an experience and then you can break apart that experience later. You'll have that default network like you talked about muted and maybe you can change some patterns and the way you look at things. And I want to be clear, I believe psychedelics should be done with support. So meaning a therapist, a coach, a shaman, there should be support around the psychedelics, not just take it on your own and, and hope for the best. Yeah, I, I'm glad you mentioned that. You know, as I did my reading on the new psychedelic studies, I definitely realized that psychedelics are an adjunct to a treatment approach that we're already using, and that is therapy. 
Therapy is such an important component if you're going to be using psychedelics in your healing. And, and you definitely have to see it as a tool. You have to process what you're experiencing during your sessions. You have to examine the thoughts and beliefs that you've held for a long time. And you have to put effort into making behavioral changes to improve your quality of life. So yes, it's not just about taking the psychedelic or the medication. It's also about incorporating new practices into your life with the help of a therapist or a coach. So if you go into the experience knowing that I'm just going to lean on this a little bit, this is something to lean on, but it's not here to change me. I do the change through therapy and unpacking, unpacking the situations and changing new patterns and look at it as a tool, most people have a better outcome because they're not, they're not leaning on the medicine to change them. So psychedelics have been around for actually hundreds of years. They've been used by indigenous cultures. Ayahuasca, which is a root plant mixed with DMT, has been used in the upper Amazon by forest-dwelling shamans for hundreds of years. Mescaline has been used in Mexico and the Americas for a very long time. The Aztecs had a culture of eating mushrooms. And historically, people have always been threatened by psychedelics. And that is why the practice has been pushed away over the years. But mental health has continued to increasingly be a problem, especially in our country and society. And examining the use of these psychedelics to help with the, that mental health parity is absolutely essential. I believe it is. I have a question, and this is for the audience as well as you. Why do you think people are threatened by psychedelics? I know the previous administration a long time ago did the whole schedule thing and banned psychedelics. And then it seems like worldwide they followed suit after us because we were pretty powerful back then. So I understand why other cultures picked it up and said, okay, the U.S. is doing this. If we want to play ball with them, we have to do this as well. That's exactly what happened soon after the U.S. created the DEA. They, they took their findings to the United Nations and asked other states of the United Nations to sign on to ban psychedelics. Yeah, so my general question is, why do people find him so threatening? I don't know if we know that answer, but it's just kind of a question I want to throw out there. I don't know the answer, but I wonder if it has to do with psychedelics don't align with political agendas. And I, and I think at that time in the 1970s, politicians saw it as a threat. And that's why it was labeled as part of the counterculture. Their agenda was to win the Vietnam War. And people at that time that were doing LSD and psilocybin, they were going on, on these psychedelic trips where they were experiencing love and peace and connection. And war was just very counterintuitive. And, and the politicians saw that. They saw the protests. They saw the people that didn't want to participate in war, didn't want to be part of the draft. And and I think that's kind of where, you know, psychedelics started getting banned and thought of as not an appropriate choice for our society. Yeah, it made us question the way we were behaving. If this is the only way to do things kind of feeling. And so maybe that's threatening because it doesn't stay with the status quo. What do you think? I mean, I come from that 
the generation of war on drugs, they're horrible for you. And, and to a certain extent, I mean, I agree with that. I wouldn't tell anybody to go out and do drugs because that's not appropriate. But I think in a, in a set and setting, these two molecules in particular, hallucinogenics like LSD, psilocybin, ayahuasca, DMT, and substances like that done in a right set and setting with some support and guidance, I think can be very powerful. Like, I don't think we have to throw out the baby with the bathwater, right? right? There's some good parts to it. I don't want to say it's all good because, you know, these substances aren't for everybody and it could make some people worse. So we, we have to really be careful of what we say. But at the same time, I think it's a, a great alternative to what we have now. Or an option, not even an alternative, just an option to what we have now. And there definitely are risks associated with psychedelic use, especially with psychedelics being difficult to access. You don't know where it's coming from. You don't know if it's cut with something else, if it's laced with something else. And like you said, that can potentially cause a worsening of mental health symptoms. You do have to be careful. You do have to be mindful of, you know, your set and setting. Make sure you have the appropriate support. Now, one of the things traditionally with psychedelics was that it can worsen some mental health conditions such as psychosis. But further studies found no significant association between psychedelics and suicide, depression, and anxiety. In fact, there was one study that found that lifetime psychedelic use was associated with a lower likelihood of inpatient mental health treatment within the last year. So there's there's definitely a lot of information out there supporting the use of psychedelics and mental health. And it's coming back. I mean, we do see that with MAPS and MDMA. MDMA is going to be legalized here pretty soon. And then the Carhartt-Harris study that we, I think we've talked about in previous podcasts or in a different podcast, but, you know, that one was pretty amazing where it took psilocybin against Lexapro, the leading SSRI, and showed that it did it at least the same, if not better, of right. the SSRI. Yeah, and it demonstrated much less of a side, side effect profile compared to SSRIs, which, which is something else to be said as well. Yeah, absolutely. So if that's an option for people, maybe people want to choose that. Three doses of psilocybin with less side effects and therapy versus being on a pill every day, you know, with side effects. Like you said, there there is a paradigm shift. Hopefully things are starting to move in the right direction with MDMA, hopefully getting an FDA indication later this year, and hopefully psilocybin being followed soon next year or the year after. Now, this is kind of a tangent, but I want to get your opinion on this too. There's a lot of companies that are coming out and now taking psilocybin and breaking it apart and trying to patent part of it. I go back and forth on this, if this is great or not. They're trying to patent it mainly because they can't patent psilocybin, right? So they can't make money off of it. So they're not going to send it through trials because they can't make money off it. So it makes sense that they have to break it apart. And I know one company is breaking it apart and trying to get the experience shorter. And then people are arguing that, well, they're just trying to get it shorter. So now if the experience is six hours and now it goes down to three hours, they can see two clients in one hour instead of one in one hour. I don't know what to think of this. I don't know if this is the new future or not. 
I mean, there is something to it being shorter. There's pros and cons, but then also it being six hours probably would lead it to less abuse potential. That's where my brain goes to, because now if you have an experience of like 20, 30 minutes, well, you could take it 10 times a day, where if you have a six hour experience, it's probably less likely that you're going to abuse it. Right. I'm all for science, technology, and medical advancement. But in the case of psilocybin, because the mushrooms occur naturally in the earth and the soil, I wonder if it's just meant to be that way for a specific reason. And it's been used this way for hundreds, if not thousands of years. Perhaps it's effective in its natural form. Again, I don't have the answer to this, but I just kind of feel like I need to lean that way a little. That's how I feel too. Because when you have a company coming in and, and you know, I want to say that their motives are genuine, but we all know that if they could patent psilocybin, the whole molecule, they would, right? Because there's money to be made. And I understand if you're going to put something through research, that takes millions of dollars and lots of time. So you got to be able to get that, that cost back. But I don't know if that's a good reason to change things. I agree. So... The main purpose of discussing this today is to show that perhaps there is a paradigm shift occurring and there will be other options available to clients who are struggling with mental health symptoms, that there will be additional help out there besides what's already available right now. Yeah. And the great thing is, is now we're starting to study these things and we can objectively see if they're good for us and give us a second alternative to the SSRIs and general treatment. So I think it's all a good thing. And we're, our paradigm shift is changing in an appropriate manner. I would love to invite our listeners to comment on this episode. If you'd like to share your opinion with us on psychedelics or share your experiences with us, we would love for you to leave us a comment and let us know what you think. Once again, thank you for listening to our podcast. And those of you that have taken time to leave reviews and contact us through Instagram, thank you. You can see the show notes at stuckbrainpodcast.com. You can also visit us on Instagram at stuckbrainpodcast, and you can leave what topics you want to hear next.